Good morning again, everybody. And uh, welcome those who've arrived since we, we last said welcome. Um, and thank you to the, the worship team for leading us this morning. Um, there's something, um, something just really powerful about confessing together uh, the name of Jesus. And I, I don't know if it's something about the way our world is at the minute, where every other source of hope or uh, everywhere else you might look for help seems to be crumbling. Uh, that there's something about coming together as God's people and confessing that our, our hope is in Jesus. And what a wonderful name it is and what a powerful name it is. Um, there's something just uh, really beautiful and powerful about doing that together. Um, we're going to do things just a little bit differently this morning. Our, our teaching this morning uh, is going to lead straight into communion. And then we'll sing again at the, at the end of communion. Um, and you'll see as we go maybe why our teaching kind of leads that way. Um, and just to say now, I may say it again, but to say if you're a follower of Jesus, if you love Jesus, uh, you're really welcome to join with us in sharing bread and wine uh, whenever we, we come to that, that moment. And there's bread and wine here, and then there's another table, I think, somewhere outside or in the foyer. So, um, so we're, we're in a series where we are, we are thinking about um, the gospel in all of the Bible. Um, I want to just take a second and let's, let's pray again and ask for God's help as we come to his word. Um, Father, I want to pray really simply that in these few moments, as we open up your word, you would do what you love to do. You would do what you have done again and again and again through human history, and that is that you would speak words that bring life. You would speak words that bring healing to the parts of us that need healing. You would speak words that bring freedom to the parts of us that need freedom. Um, Father, would you speak to us by your word and by your spirit, and would you help every single one of us, young and old, in the building and at home, wherever we are, uh, to lean in and listen to the things that you want to say to us from your word. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so I wonder, um, already as we're going uh, a few weeks into this new series, um, I guess one of the things we're thinking about is where, where would you turn in the Bible if you were looking for the gospel? If, some, if a friend asked you to, sh to explain the gospel to them, I wonder where in the Bible you would go. And maybe at times... We might be inclined to go to John 3.16, and that's a good place to go. Or there might be a few verses in Romans that explain the gospel really clearly. But maybe one of the things we're trying to show in this series is there, you can go almost anywhere in the Bible and find the melody of the gospel, the good news of the gospel there. And so maybe now, if a friend asked you to show them the gospel in the Bible, you might open up Genesis 3 and go to the garden and talk about the gospel there. You might go to Deuteronomy 26, like we did a couple of weeks ago, and talk about the gospel there. Or maybe, uh, as this week, you might turn kind of right to the middle of your Bible, to the book of Psalms, uh, and open up Psalm 51. Um, I think if you're, you're wanting to choose a, a chapter of the Bible just to dwell in and camp out in and soak yourself in, um, you could definitely do worse than choose this chapter. This is a chapter you could spend a month 
just reading and reading and praying and letting it kind of sink in. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to read it together. We're listening for the gospel in this song, in this prayer uh, of David. Um, and just at the top of the psalm, uh, this little inscription uh, is written in most of your Bibles. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So there's just one little sentence that sets the context. You probably know the story pretty well. David had abused his power as king, had misused his power as king, had taken another man's wife, and then to compound that terrible sin, uh, had then arranged and manipulated things so that the woman's husband would be killed in battle, had sent him to the, the worst part of the battle, and essentially was guilty of murder as well as adultery. And then the prophet Nathan came and challenged David with that famous line, you are the man. Uh, and that's the context for this prayer. So that's really important. David has sinned spectacularly. He has sinned grievously. Uh, and now he prays. Um, what would you say to God at a time in your life like that? This is what David says. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Whew. When you... When you're reading a bit of scripture like that, I, I feel like my job is easy because I don't need to say very much. 
said, go and, go and read it again, and go and read it again, and go and pray it, and go and find a quiet place this week, um, and just let this become your prayer uh, as you talk to God. Um, but I, I need to say a few things uh, about it this morning. Um, where, where to begin with a prayer like this? Um, I actually want to zoom right in on, actually on the part of the prayer that I find most difficult, uh, that maybe sometimes as I read it, makes me pause and question or query a little bit. Sometimes it's good to pay attention to those things as we, we read scripture. And for me, this is the line where I pause a little bit, is when David says, against you and you only have I sinned. I don't know how you react when you read that. I, I find myself, if I'm being honest a little bit, saying, really? Against only God? What about Bathsheba, this woman David took to his own bed? What about Uriah, this man whose wife David stole and then schemed to have him killed? And so I find myself puzzling with God a little bit over what does this mean when David says to God, against you and you only have I sinned? Um, I think it's important to say in the wider story of the Bible, it is abundantly clear that how we treat other people horizontally really, really matters. Other people are made in God's image. And so whenever we mistreat them in any way, we commit a kind of sacrilege against the image of God. And we, the Bible is also really clear that whenever we do that, whenever we wrong someone in that horizontal direction, we should do whatever we can to make things right. We should go and ask them for forgiveness. We should go and do what we can to make amends. Maybe one of the, the best examples of that in the Bible is Zacchaeus, who uh, had been a cheat and a swindler all his life. And the moment he met Jesus and had his life turned around, what was the very first thing that he did? Was to go and give back uh, multiple times what he had stolen from people, to go and make amends. So it, it really matters that making things right in the horizontal human relationships. So whatever this verse means, it doesn't mean that harming and hurting other people doesn't matter or that we shouldn't go uh, to make those things right. But as I puzzle over this verse, I do think this verse puts at the center something essential, which maybe our culture and our generation would like to forget. Sometimes we would like to just focus on the horizontal and the human. Um, so maybe we know that things are terribly wrong in our world and we want to do what we can to make things better. And so we look to see if we have caused harm or hurt to other people, maybe close to home or in other parts of the world. And often that's the only way that we measure wrong is can we see if anybody has been hurt and we go to seek uh, to make things right and to make amends, and that is good. And sometimes we use every tool at our disposal on the human level, on the horizontal level, to try to mend things. And so we use the tools of politics and the law and the tools of medicine and science and the tools of psychology and counselling and mediation and diplomacy and charity and social action and just trying to be a good friend and a good neighbour and a good citizen and doing all we can on that horizontal level. 
And all of those things that I've just mentioned have their place and have their part to play and can be really good things as we live and act in the world. But I don't know what you think. I think our generation is facing a moment of profound bafflement that all of these good things that people are trying to do on the horizontal level are not leading to a deep healing of our world. Something is still badly wrong, deeply out of kilter. Something essential has been missed, even as we do our best with lots of good intentions to try to make things right on that horizontal level. What is it that's missing? Um, and I, I was caused to think about this recently. I was watching a, a, an amazing BBC drama called Time, uh, which I know some of you have seen. I do want to do my quick um, comment to say I'm not necessarily recommending it. This is a very brutal prison drama, and it's a very realistic prison drama, so it, it, with all that that implies. Uh, so it's not comfortable viewing, so it may not be your cup of tea. Um, but um, I found it a very powerful uh, piece of truth-telling. Um, and in a very quick synopsis, uh, Sean Bean plays a man who has done wrong and caused harm. He's not a criminal, but he uh, struggled with alcohol. And one night when he'd been drinking heavily, he drove his car and he, he hit someone and he killed someone in that way. Um, and in the movie, you see him. He's in prison. He believes that he deserves to be in prison. He's glad that he's there because he wants to be punished for what he's done. And you see him in the movie seeking to make amends in every way possible. You see him writing a letter to the family of the man he killed that simply says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And that's all he can say. And you see him going to meet with groups of teenagers to tell his story and try and make sure that they don't repeat the mistake that he's made. And you see him going to give public talks where he tells his story so that other people can learn from what, he, from what he's done and from where he's been. So he, he seeks to do everything imaginable on the horizontal level to make things right, but he still carries this sense that that's not enough. And at one point in the movie, he says, what I need is to make atonement. And somehow he reaches for a word he hasn't gone to church for years, but he reaches for a word from his childhood upbringing in church. He says, that's what I need is atonement. Uh, and there's this, there's this moment in the final episode, and I know I'm spoiling it all for you, but you can go and watch it anyway. Um, there's a moment in the final episode where uh, a relative has died outside the prison and he's not able to go to the funeral. Uh, he's not given release to go. And the nun who is a, a chaplain in the prison offers to sit with him in the, the chapel and go through the funeral service with him as it's happening outside the prison. And so they go through the liturgy of the funeral service together. And then it comes to this moment where this man bows his head and says, I have sinned by my fault, by my fault, by my own deliberate fault. And it can I tell you something really weird? Is that, although it was a really heavy drama and a dark drama and a brutal drama, and although that seems like a really heavy moment, that was the moment where I wanted to jump out of my chair and shout hallelujah. Because in that moment, I knew that was a moment of tremendous possibility and tremendous hope where light can break in to that man's story. Um, 
this ancient prayer that we read together from Psalm 51, I think shows us that element that we are often missing. That often as we try and mend everything on the horizontal dimension, we're missing the vertical dimension. We've missed out God, the one who made us, the one who holds us all together, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And it's a bit like trying to complete a jigsaw without the picture on the box and with all the edges and the corners missing. We're trying our best to put it together, but we don't know what picture we're trying to make and we don't have the most important pieces. Um, If we want to make things right in our own lives and in our world, we need to place ourselves before God. And whenever we place ourselves before God, we will see ourselves truly in his light. All of our illusions get stripped away. All of our delusions get stripped away. And one of the things we will realize is that we have sinned deeply and grievously. Now, small sidebar, by the way, sometimes it's important to say these these things. By the way, that's not all we discover about ourselves whenever we come before God. We also discover, among other things, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image with all kinds of gifts and beauties and that God is waiting and wanting to bring those to life. And we also discover that we are weary and wounded because we've been sinned against and battered and bruised by life and that God is waiting as the father of all compassion to bring healing and comfort to us in our woundedness. So there are all kinds of other things we discover when we come to God. But one of the things, one of the most important that we discover is this uncomfortable truth that we have sinned. As David says, that we've done what is evil in God's sight so that God is right when he judges. We stand deserving of his judgment. And you see this, I don't know if you've noticed, you see this again and again in the Bible. Whenever people see God in his light and his glory, it's a good thing to pray, Lord, show me your light, show me your glory, show me your beauty. But you've got to be careful of that prayer. Because what happens in the Bible when people see the glory of God? Billy reminded us last week of Isaiah uh, and and, uh, his vision in the temple. When Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and and Isaiah says, I am undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a, a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. Or if you jump to the New Testament, Peter gets a glimpse of the glory of God when he's out fishing with Jesus and there's this miraculous catch of fish. And how does Peter respond? He doesn't just say, you are amazing, Lord, though that is true. He falls on his feet, among, uh, on his knees among the fish. And he says, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. So whenever we are face to face with God and his beauty and his light and his glory and his holiness, this is part of what is revealed. We see the murky depths of ourselves. And that realization is deeply uncomfortable and we'd sometimes do anything to avoid it and to excuse our sin and to hide it and to explain it away and to blame someone else. But actually, do you know the the big thing that I want to try and convey this morning? And the reason I told that story from that drama is that moment of realization and confession of sin, although it seems like a heavy thing and a serious thing, and it is, It's also a moment of great hope and possibility because now we can hear and receive 
the good news. As long as we're pretending we're okay, we can't hear the good news of great joy for all people. But when our guard comes down, when our illusions and our delusions are stripped away, when we're able to say, I have sinned by my fault, by my fault, by my own deliberate fault, then the light can come rushing in. Then the gospel can come and do its work. And so I want to just notice with you the gospel as it comes to David in this moment. Uh, And I think in Psalm 51, there are kind of four movements of the gospel that I'm only going to mention them briefly uh, as as we go through. So these are the four movements. As David is on his knees confessing his sins to God, first he discovers there is forgiveness. That's the first movement of the gospel. David puts his trust in God's mercy in God's unfailing love and great compassion. And he asks for forgiveness. Verse 2, he says, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And I don't know for you what's on your conscience this morning uh, from your life, maybe from things long ago that you still carry on your conscience, or maybe from this week, or maybe from things that you're still struggling with. But I wonder, can you hear this part of the good news this morning? That God is merciful and he delights to forgive those who come to him. Jesus, who is David's greater son, has taken our sin. And this morning, forgiveness is available in his name. I wonder, can you hear that part of the good news this morning? If we hide our sin and we pretend it's not there, then we lie and the truth is not in us, and we remain burdened, and we remain stuck, and we remain trapped. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful, and he is just, and he will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder, is that the part of the good news that you most need to hear this morning? So as David is on his knees confessing sin, the first note of the good news he hears is, God is merciful. And there is, there is forgiveness freely available for those who come to him. But that's not all, because the, the gospel is greater than that. What is the second movement of the gospel? It's this, um, that David uh, is given a new heart. We need to not stop at the good news of forgiveness, because then we can sometimes remain stuck and entangled and addicted by the things that we, to the things that we struggle with with all of our old desires and our old habits. So David doesn't just ask for forgiveness. He asks God to give him a new heart. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God. David knows that he needs a new heart with new desires and new hungers leading to new habits and new character and a new way of life. And I wonder, is that the part of the good news that you most need to hear this morning? I wonder, can you hear that part of the good news? That you don't have to live stuck or resigned or entangled or defeated. That Jesus has come not only to bring forgiveness, but to break the power of sin. And he gives you, if you ask him, his own spirit to change you from within. So you can be transformed into his image and become like him. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. 
It's not just forgiveness. The gospel is better than that. It's about a new heart, a new beginning, uh, and a new character, and a new creation. But even that's not all. The, uh, I wonder, can you see the, the largeness of the gospel being opened up by David in Psalm 51? Here's the, the third note of the gospel melody that I hear in this psalm is joy and gladness. Um, I know this is maybe getting repetitive as we go through this theme, but this is a good kind of repetition. Um, I hope you're getting the message by now that wherever the gospel is truly present, there's going to be joy. Wherever the gospel is truly present, there's going to be joy. So David says in verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let these bones you have crushed rejoice. And then in verse 12, really poignantly, he prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I wonder, is that the part of the gospel that you most need to hear this morning? Maybe that's a prayer you need to carry into this week. Lord, I've lost my joy. Would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? Um, maybe here's a, a weird way of looking at it. Is if, if I was to ask you, what does a person who regularly confesses their sin to God look like? And maybe we might imagine someone who's very serious and very glum and kind of an Eeyore kind of character going around going, I'm rubbish, everything's terrible. Um, that kind of pessimism. Um, actually, if that is where you are living today, in a state of constant beating yourself up and sorrowfulness and sadness, can I respectfully say to you this morning, you need to repent and believe the gospel. Because of course, there's sorrow in feeling the reality of our sin. And there's that moment of sorrow that we visit where we feel the wrongness or the grubbiness of our own hearts. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, if, if that sorrow is godly sorrow, then it leads to repentance, which brings salvation. And here's my favorite bit, and leaves no regret right? If the gospel is doing its work in your life, you don't stay with your head down in that place of sorrow. The gospel moves you to a place of profound joy. Jesus says, some of, his, some of my favorite words from him, he says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. That's the desire of Jesus for you, is that all the joy that's in him would get into you. And so if the gospel is doing its work in our lives, there's a movement from sorrow over sin to a profound joy as we realize our forgiveness and the new beginning uh, that God has brought in our lives. But even that's not all. Here's the fourth movement of the gospel. And this is maybe the most outrageous and audacious part of all. Remember how badly David has messed up. Remember how grievously David has sinned. But then David says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressor, transgressors your ways. And I wonder, do you find yourself thinking, who does David think he is? That I'm gonna, he's going to go and teach other people and be some kind of vessel for God to use to bring blessing and bring freedom and bring life to other people. This is often not the way that we think. Uh, let me maybe ask the question this way. Um, if you knew someone in our church who had done something really scandalous, some kind of public failure on a 
a massive scale. Let me ask this question. How long do they need to wait before God can use them? I'm guessing most of us believe, we believe the gospel enough to believe God can forgive them and that God can begin to change them. And maybe even that God might, in his great mercy, give them the gift of his joy as they come back to him. But you know the way most of us think is they're going to need some time to kind of be on the back bench before they can be useful to God. They need some time to prove that they're really sorry and to show that they've really changed. And so is that not often kind of the way that we think? They're going to need, I don't know, I don't know how, how much time you would put on it. They're going to need six months, a year, a few years, and then maybe they can start to be used by God. But here is the scandal of the gospel, according to Psalm 51, that an adulterer and murderer like David can be used by God to bless others. Someone like Peter, who in the New Testament cursed and swore that he didn't even know Jesus, publicly denounced all connection with Jesus. How long have you got to sit on the bench if you do that? A few days later, Jesus has breakfast with Peter and picks him up and says, Peter, I want you to go and feed my sheep. And he puts him back in the game. He says, you're going to be profoundly useful, Peter, in bringing freedom and blessing and life and grace to other people. And so I want to say this maybe loudly this morning, that there are, there are many people in our churches and maybe some of us here this morning and maybe some of you watching at home who believe the other parts of the gospel, that there's forgiveness in Jesus and there's a new heart in Jesus and even that there's joy in Jesus, but you don't believe that God can use you today, that God can use you this week to be a powerful blessing. And you've put yourself in the doghouse of shame or maybe other people have put you there or you've put yourself kind of in the sin bin, to use a sporting analogy. Um, And again, can I urge you, if that's you this morning, to repent and believe the good news that the gospel hasn't completed its work in your life until you believe that Jesus lifts up your head and brings you out of the doghouse of shame and gets you out of the sin bin and puts you back in the game and says, I have things for you to do that only you can do. And I want to use you this week to be a powerful blessing to your neighbours. And the truth is that God has always used scruffy, messy, ordinary, clumsy, flawed, fallible, foolish, sinful humans like David, like Peter, like you, like me. That's the raw material that God has always worked with. A friend of mine used to like to say, God is able to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Not you and me. He's able to do his work in the world through leaky vessels like us. Um, God wants to use you today, this week, to carry hope and good news to others. So there's, for me, the, the four movements of the gospel that I hear in Psalm 51, that there is forgiveness this morning, that there is a new heart that there is joy and that there's a new purpose that God wants to use you in the world. And again, maybe if you and I ask, well, what's my part in all of this? If God is the one who forgives and God's the one who gives a new heart and God's the one who brings joy and God's the one who gives a new purpose, 
what's my part? What do I do this morning? And the psalm tells us this morning we only need to do one thing, which is to bring a broken and a contrite heart. Uh, We need to come in humility and confess our sins and say, I'm a sinner in need of mercy. I'm weak and I need your strength. I'm foolish and I need your wisdom. I'm broken and I need your healing. And I love the promise in the psalm. It says, when someone comes to God like that, with that kind of heart, he will not despise it. He will not turn away from you. But instead, he will pour out all the blessings of salvation that we've been talking about this morning. All that light comes flooding in whenever you bring that kind of heart to God. So, we're going to take a moment Um, as we prepare for communion, to do that thing that we've been talking about, which can seem to some people somber and sad, but I'm trying to convince you this morning is a thing that brings profound liberation and joy to our lives, which is we're going to confess our sins. I'm not going to ask you to stand up publicly and name your sins before anybody else, Uh, but we're going to take a moment to confess our sins together. Um, And we're going to use the words of a prayer, which we're going to put up on the screen, and then we're going to allow a little moment of quiet for you to talk to God about the specifics, uh, about whatever you want to confess to God. Um, And I guess before we do it, I want to say, if you've been following Jesus for years, this is a good thing to do regularly. It's not a gloomy, pessimistic thing. It actually releases the energies of salvation in your life. It opens the door again to hope and healing and joy. It is liberating and life-giving. So that's why this is something we need to do repeatedly. But I also want to say, if you have never opened your heart and your life to God's mercy, to God's unfailing love, if you've never placed yourself before God and asked for his forgiveness and grace and his healing and his help, then this prayer is a prayer you could use to do that. This morning, and this could be the decisive turning point of your life when light comes flooding in, when hope comes flooding in, when a new story starts to be written in your life. That's an amazing thing. This is a moment of possibility for you. God is here waiting and wanting to pour out forgiveness and to give you a new heart and new joy and new purpose. So you can take a moment and decide for yourself if this is something you want to say. Uh, We've given little bits of paper to those outside, so they have the words of the prayer as well. Uh, If you're at home, I want you to say this loudly in your kitchen or your living room uh, and say it with us. Uh, But let's take a moment to pray this prayer together of confession, and then let's have a few moments of quiet to bring our specific sins to God. Um, So let's pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's take a moment in quiet.
just confess our sins to God. Father, you know that um, many of us, maybe, we, we know the gospel in our minds, but sometimes it doesn't reach our hearts or the deepest parts of us. And Father, we want to pray this morning that the gospel would reach our depths. And Father, I want to pray as we, as we now take the bread and wine, and as we take the bread and wine into our bodies, um, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would come and take the gospel down into the depths of us and preach the gospel to our hearts. Help us as we take the bread and wine to hear the good news this morning that Christ has died for us, that Christ has risen for us, that Christ reigns in power this morning for us, that Christ prays this morning for us. Help us to believe the good news of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven and there is now no condemnation for those who are in him. That in Jesus Christ we are made new so that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has begun. And help us to believe that in Jesus Christ we are sent out today to carry hope and blessing and good news to the world. Holy Spirit, carry this gospel to the deepest parts of our hearts as we share bread and wine together. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I want to say again, um, if, you are a follow, if you've been following Jesus for years, we'd love you to come and share bread and wine together. Um, if a few moments ago you prayed that prayer, and meant it. Um, I want to say to you this morning, you don't have to wait a week before you take communion, or wait a month, or wait six months, but we'd love you to come and share with us in the bread and wine, which is just a visible way of remembering that the body of Jesus was broken for us, and the blood of Jesus was poured out for us. So if you prayed that prayer this morning and meant it, please come and share uh, in bread and wine, and just come up in your own time and take bread and wine. Uh, let's eat together.